Hey, everybody, it's Kevin Stevenson, and you're with me on I Don't Care with, yeah, me. So uh, uh, happy to be with you today. Got a really interesting guest, as we always do. We've got Dr. Dan Burnett, who's the president and CEO of Theranova. And Theranova is a firm based in California. They do just a ton of, you know, uh, investment. They do a lot of uh, entrepreneurial type activities. Dan's got a great background, uh, spent, uh, spent some time in the biomed uh, industry, uh, got his degree from University of Pennsylvania in bioengineering, and then went back and got an MD and an MBA at Duke. So that's pretty impressive right there, Dan. Uh, and uh, you know, did his, uh, did his uh, re internship at Mayo in uh, Jacksonville and uh, is a licensed physician in California. And so Dan, welcome to I Don't Care. Thanks, thanks for having me. Hey, anything, did I miss anything? Anything else you want to add to that? Um, I was, I also um, was a part of a venture capital fund uh, called MedVenture Associates from 2003 okay. to 2005. I was one of four partners and it was a $160 million fund focused on medical devices. Okay. Um, and I'm currently on staff at UCSF, University oh. of California, San Francisco, Great. Um, as, okay. as a assistant professor in the bioengineering department. Okay. And I see yeah. that, that since you uh, since, since you joined Theranova, you've raised over three hundred million dollars in uh, in capital for your spin out. So that's mm -hmm. really impressive. So yeah. tell us a little bit about Theranova. Yeah, Theranova um, was is a medical device incubator. Um, the term is shifting now. Some people have told me it's a venture studio because okay. we we don't usually bring in external technologies. We have done that. A couple of times with UCSF, but usually it's it's technologies that are hatched internally, mm -hmm. and then we um, move them forward. We nurture them. We raise money for them. We raise grants, uh, venture capital, angel investment, um, and then once they get to the right stage, we bring on a management team and spin them out into their own entity. Mm. Um, so Theranova is essentially an idea and idea generator and a company generator that. Uh, um, averages about a little over one a year in terms of companies that we form and spin out. We've had okay. 17 in the last 15 years. So, Wow, that's impressive. So, so do you focus in one aspect of healthcare or is it pretty broad? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's wherever we see a need. Um, <clears throat> and it has been really broad, even with respect to the technologies employed mm -hmm. by, the, uh, um, by our solution. It has been more and more coning down onto mechatronics and advanced sensing technologies and using those to gather proprietary data streams, which we then use and I believe will be used to um, revolutionize medicine. Okay, how so? So one example is a company of mine, Petrero Medical, started that one about seven years ago, <clears throat> and they get urinary output um, and core temperature with a urinary catheter, but they also gather a parameter called intra-abdominal pressure. Mm -hmm. Intra-abdominal pressure right now is not really monitored at all in the US. It is more in Europe, but not in the US. Hmm. And if your intra-abdominal pressure goes up too high, your blood flow to your organs is perturbed and you can get liver failure, kidney failure, and a few other things. To get this accurately and continuously was not a trivial um, project and uh, undertaking. And we now have an FDA um, 510K cleared 
device to acquire intra-abdominal pressure continuously that we have uh, several patents um, protecting that technology. Mm -hmm. And we are in the process of showing how that can be used to um, enhance the treatment of patients in the hospital. Okay. And if we can show that, which I'm confident we can, we will have a monopoly on the device that provides that information. Okay. That's yeah. interesting that you say that, that that's really not measured here in the U.S., but it is elsewhere. Uh, I, I wonder why. The main reason is it's a pain in the ass to measure. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be swearing. No, you're, you're fine. We're on the internet. We can say whatever we want. It's fine. <laughs> Great. Um, it's really hard to measure. So you have to clamp the urine drain tube. You have to plug in a pressure port. You have to get a syringe of 20 cc's of fluid. You have to make sure wow. the bladder is drained. Then you've got to get an IV bag and spike it in order to fill that syringe. And then uh -huh. after all that's done, you infuse 20 cc's of fluid into the bladder, wait a minute for the bladder to stop spasming. And then you, um, the physician will look at the tracing of pressure in the bladder mm -hmm. and just eyeball it and say, end expiratory pressure is roughly 12. And then that, that's the number they record. Okay. It's also, it's also susceptible to error because wherever the pressure transducer is, if it's not zeroed correctly, it can be off by a couple inches or an inch or two which is five millimeters of mercury, which is a big difference considering intra-abdominal hypertension is 15 millimeters of mercury. If you're off by five in either direction, you go from a normal pressure to a severe hypertension. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Your explanation of that just made me hurt, uh, you know, down there. So I <laughs> Hey, yeah. She's got, yeah, that sounds like a real pain. I don't know if I want that, uh, that happening to me. Well, that's yeah. interesting though. So, so tell me, yeah, you know, where do your ideas come from? I mean, I, I see that you have, you know, your, your bio on your website says you've uh, invented, you have 57 patents and over 180 pending worldwide. So I would imagine there's probably more than that by now, but where do you get your ideas at Theranova for, uh, in order uh, for you to evaluate and incubate those to the point where they can be spun off? Yeah, thanks. Good question. Um, initially, it was mostly my ideas. The first six or seven companies were my ideas. Okay. Um, I also have a partner in Theranova. He's practicing now in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a physical medicine rehabilitation doc that I did my um, Mayo Clinic internship with. His name is Shane Mangrum. And one of the concepts came from him. That's our osteoporosis treatment device. Okay. Um, increasingly though, it's, be, it's been, uh, ideas have been coming from the engineers and the team that I've built here at Theranova itself. Mm -hmm. So we've had a lot of different technologies now that have been formed around concepts that um, engineers and patent people and clinical people mm -hmm. here at Theranova have hatched um, just through their ordinary course of work, stumbled upon something. Okay. Um, you know, I've got to ask this, you know, I have to, I, I, I'm bound by market scale and everybody else. I have to ask a COVID question yeah. in every interview. So over the last year and a half, what any interesting ideas that have come out of, of COVID that you can share? Yeah. So two of our technologies are very COVID topical. One is a technology for remote patient monitoring at home where we can gather all the vital signs that you would need mm -hmm. to assess a patient um, in a 30 second um, breath 
but at a with a device that's designed to sit next to the toothbrush and you use once a day and can tell you if you have a fever, if you have lung sounds, if you have other issues, if your um, blood oxygen saturation is low, um, things that occur with COVID. The other big one is we've designed an N99 mask, um, which is best in class for filtration on its own, but also has uh, a port on either side of the mask that can be used to pump HEPA filtered air into the mask itself. And that technology um, we're calling, it's a uh, elastomeric half mask respirator with breath assist. And that is something we are planning on um, really uh, manufacturing in larger quantities and selling to hospitals to help protect the frontline healthcare workers. Interesting. And, you, and I, I heard you say N99 rather than N95. Yeah. And so... In our tests, we blocked 99.5% of all um, aerosolized particles uh, with, the, with the mask itself. And it can be used passively. So it just filters the air. Um, it filters the air going uh, in and out of the patient's mouth, which is critical. Um, sure. A lot of physicians, and, and this is true once you add the air source, a lot of physicians don't like to wear what's called the powered air purifying respirator mm -hmm. because they don't filter the exhaled air. And if you're wearing one, then you, and you're asymptomatic COVID patient, mm -hmm. you're blowing virus all around you. Right. It's, it's just like that uh, poor hospital worker that wore the inflatable Christmas tree costume in Kaiser San Jose. Yes. And infected 44 people, one of which died yeah. because she was, she asymptomatic COVID and she was wearing this uniform that was blowing air all over the facility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We read about that because about that same time, uh, we actually had somebody in a T-Rex costume walking around doing the very same thing. We didn't even think about that. And I'm sure most places didn't either. Yeah. So, which is the tricky part because now it's about education. Right. It's about educating the market that, and we've done a couple studies. Um, one study we we just had published in the BMC Infectious Disease Journal shows that um, the levels of CO2 under an N95 mask and with a normal respirator, a 3M respirator, are at um, the CO2 levels exceed what NIOSH, National Institutes of Occupational mm -hmm. Safety Hazards, exceeds the level they've set for long-term exposure to CO2 by hmm. six, by uh, anywhere from three to six fold. So the averages were up in the two and a half percent range and they, they um, recommend 0.5% or less for an eight hour day. Wow. Um, so these hospital workers that are sometimes wearing two masks and mm -hmm. a face shield are smothering themselves in carbon dioxide which causes headaches, fatigue, mm -hmm. early fatigue, and uh, so importantly, loss of executive functioning. Yeah. Um, so their, their decision-making ability is being compromised. Mm -hmm. So in order to combat this, for the, especially for these people that are using it all day, they need some sort of powered air to help sweep the carbon dioxide away and provide fresh mm -hmm. air. But the only technologies that provide that fresh air also don't filter the exhale there and blow it all over the place. Yeah. So ours is the first technology that does both. That's really Filter interesting. 
Yeah, you know, I, I've talked to a number of my my more clinical friends since I'm not clinical. Hence, that's why the podcast is called I Don't Care. I'm not clinical. It's not that I'm, you know, anyway, I have to explain it every now and then. Yeah, yeah. But, but they told me that, you know, that they know they're not getting adequate oxygen. And, and they, after prolonged, you know, mask utilization, they know, they can tell that yep. their cognition is, is impaired a bit. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, and I, I'm the same. I, I can just feel it. I, I know I start to get a headache. My dentist as well. She was one of our first pilot users of our device. Mm -hmm. She was told me, she told us that she was cutting her work, eight hour workday down to three hours. Really? Because And only seeing three patients, one per hour. Hmm. Because, because wearing a mask any longer than that three hours was caused headaches. Yeah. And she just felt tired and she was exhausted all the time. Yeah. So That's she's she's using our device now on a daily basis. So okay. she's a regular user. That's very good. So, yeah. so, uh, you know, you said that you, you, you know, are, are kind of broad, broad based across all of healthcare, but what are some other, you know, are there any areas that you seem to see, you know, more, uh, more products, more ideas coming through, say around cardiovascular oncology or something like that? Um, so cardiovascular has always been a really hot space. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I've, I've avoided it to some degree. We're, we're, we're a bit of a contrarian play here where we look to fields that are not saturated by others, where there's still real medical need and, and fields where there may be an inherent um, bias against them because they're not sexy. Um, for example, the urinary catheter, when I was describing that to you, it, the thought of investing in a urinary catheter is like, nah, but if you realize that you're getting a data stream with that urinary catheter that can revolutionize the care of patients undergoing cardiac surgery, then you, it becomes important. Um, yeah. we have, we also have a feeding tube and a catheter pick line. So we have got a bunch of technologies like that, that are not necessarily sexy, hot spaces to invest in, but when you dig in, you realize there's a real opportunity there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I recently had a guest that, that his company focused on orphan drugs. And so it sounds like you're kind of trying, you're trying to do the same thing, focusing on, you know, the, those areas that, that are, that are typically, uh, you know, ignored by others. Yep. So they're represented. Yep. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the, the venture capital side, you know, talk about, you know, kind of the, the current landscape in that uh, in and around healthcare uh, and, and talk about just the market as a whole. You know, some of my listeners and viewers may not may not be as familiar about that space. So so would love to hear uh, your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, thanks. So there's I, when I look at the health healthcare investment space, venture capital, for um that I bucketed into late stage and early stage. Late stage, there's quite a bit of interest, especially if it's a growth play where they, a big a big fund could put in 20 million and get it to a valuation that's 10x where it currently is. There's a lot of activity like that. There's far less activity in the sub five million range investment, um, and that's that's larger where we play. In fact, I've had to go to. Um, Texas, in many cases, to get investment in some of our earlier opportunities out of Dallas and San Antonio. Really? Okay. Yep. But some of them are mature enough that they've already generated substantial returns. So it's made it a lot easier to raise money out of Dallas and San Antonio. Um, 
the but for the early stage investors, that's still difficult money to find. Um, they recognize that there's usually a longer road for medical devices and medical technologies. Mm -hmm. And they recognize that there's a regulatory risk. Um, and that's honestly what I see as one of our sustainable competitive advantages here. We understand the FDA really well. We have a couple, I worked at the FDA for a short while and we have another um, uh, employee here who worked at the FDA for uh, okay. three years full-time in DC. So we understand it really well. And that is one of the things we specifically look for in an opportunity, which is again, contrarian. We look for devices that are regulated. Hmm. If they're not regulated, then somebody like an Apple or a Samsung or a Google can come in and just crush us with a better user experience and a slicker design and more money. Mm -hmm. But with the regulated devices, that scares off even the Google, Samsungs, and Apples of the world, okay. right? Because they, it's a, it's a murky process. And now you, that starts to become patient care and not consumer product. So that, that's where we, um, that's where we like to play is in the regulated space. Okay, interesting. Well, and and you said, or I'm looking at at, at your bio. It says that you have you have five that are uh, five of your spinouts that are commercially available here in the U.S. And two in the EU. Uh, would love to hear about some of those. Yeah. So in the EU, we have um, a technology for endometrial ablation and a company that went public in Belgium hmm. that is an implantable pump that pumps fluid from the abdominal cavity into the bladder so it can be evacuated without the need for a needle to tap into the um, space. I did quite a few of those when I was at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, okay. since the Mayo Clinic is one of the largest centers for liver transplant in the, in the, in the world. Hmm. Um, so we would drain off this fluid that accumulates during liver uh, failure um, in the abdomen uh, called the CITES. We'd poke a needle in there and drain it out. So I um, came up with the technology to use a catheter in that cavity, pump it through a subcutaneous pump into the bladder so it can just be peed out. Hmm. Um, those are the two in Europe. In, in the US, we have um, that endometrial ablation device is PMA approved here. We have an obesity device that's PMA approved here. We have um, a PIC line, or, which is a, a central catheter inserted mm -hmm. through the arm um, that is 510K cleared. Um, we have a, the Petrero medical device, which has uh, a 510K clearance as well. Um, and I'm blanking on the last one, but that, that's, that's at least four, four yeah. of them here in the U.S. Okay. Yep. So, so obviously, you know, your medical devices are, are more geared towards, you know, healthcare professionals utilizing those. Anything, uh, you know, currently or, or on the horizon that might be more consumer facing? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say, first of all, this mask, this N99 mm -hmm. mask sure. with the powered air, that HEPA filtered air, um, that is something as a consumer that I use when I fly, um, just because it's, it's true isolation from everybody mm -hmm. around you. Um, and even on airplanes where they, have, they say in six minutes, the entire airplane's air has been run through a HEPA filter six minutes is a long time. And if you have somebody next to you that's asymptomatic COVID mm -hmm. and 
especially if they're an aisle seat because the intakes are near the window, it's blowing across you to get there. So <clears throat> I, I, I would prefer to have co complete control over the air I'm breathing on the airplane. Sure. So that's one where I think there is a consumer application as well. The other one is uh, we have a device uh, called uh, the OsteoBoost, which is a, a belt-worn device that vibrates the skeleton to increase bone density. Hmm. Yeah. And so that's that, interesting. yeah, that's a tricky one because it's, like I said, we like to play in the regulated space. That one could be considered a class one device, which would not be regulated, but we're conducting a large study to show that it's, um, that it has an impact on bone density, which would allow it to be receive an indication for use and be a medical device as well. Okay. Yep. Very, very interesting. Uh, so What's next for you guys? I mean, are, you know, you're, you're continuing to evaluate new devices, um, you know, but, but are you thinking broader than that? Are you thinking, you know, what, what's, what's Theranova look like five to 10 years down the road? Yeah, thanks. Another good question. Um, increasingly, we are holding on to companies longer and longer in Theranova, right? So it used to be that it, the company would spin out with the Series A financing. Mm -hmm. um, and then now it becomes its own company and it would leave Theranova. Um, and, and that would be what was required to bring in the first capital. But increasingly, Theranova is investing in these companies and we're getting grants and angel capital that allow it to stay inside of Theranova longer so that by the time it spins out, it's of, it's of greater value in the at the okay. initial spin-out stage. The other, the next evolution of that, in my mind, is once we have enough funds in Theranova to fund these projects internally is to start developing these products and selling and distributing these products. St. Okay. Jude Medical began that way as a contract manufacturer that started selling some products that it developed internally. Mm -hmm. And then it started bolting on more products to its call points. And then before you know it, it's a, uh, bought for i don't know how many million it was bought yeah. for or 20 billion or something like that oh fascinating um, yeah, yeah that's great and so, so so how how large is theranova um, right how many employees how many employees do you have so directly employed by theranova we've got about 30 ftes mm -hmm. um the spin outs then also have quite a few employees sure. so um one of our spinouts, Petrero Medical, has I think ninety, maybe even hundred now. I think now that they're scaling sales, um, and then uh, several of our startups are on a similar scale. Okay. But but here at Theranova, it's uh, closer to thirty as FTEs. Yeah, well, that's that's really interesting. Any, any final words that you'd like to share with my uh, with my audience? Um, if they're interested in uh, either being an entrepreneur in the space or investing in the space, I would say it's, it's a wonderful place to be because you can do well and do good. Um, so I, I would encourage you to, to, if you're not there, to look to this space as a, as a potential area for investment and or entrepreneurship. And if you are here, then uh, you probably already understand what I'm talking about. Okay. Well, thanks so much. Dr. Dan Burnett, President and CEO of Theranova. It's been a pleasure having you on uh, I Don't Care with me, Kevin Stevenson. Uh, it's a topic we haven't discussed before. So thanks for bringing something new to my audience. And, and audience, 
you know how to find us, right? By now, it's almost two years. We're coming up on our second anniversary here in August. Uh, Market Scale Radio every Friday. Uh, and if you miss that, quote unquote, live, you know, uh, you can uh, download us on Spotify and iTunes. And I'll end this show like I end every other show. If you haven't uh, subscribed to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson, why haven't you not? So with that, take care and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks.